You're listening to sermon audio from The Shore Church, located in North Vancouver. For more information about The Shore, head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan and uh, the team. Why don't you, I'll get you to stand in a second here, but I want to intro a little bit of what, what we're doing this morning. <clears throat> I'm actually going to go back to uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 3, as well as hit 4 through 7 this morning. Uh, and I want to do this because I want, to, I want us to see the beauty of this context together. And I'll explain that in a little bit. But why don't you please, why don't you rise with me? Please stand, take your Bibles or just look on the screen and we're going to read, I'll read for us here, <clears throat> uh, the Word of God, verses uh, 1 through 7 of chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. It says this, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of God. All right, you can grab a seat. Let's pray uh, together. Uh, Jesus, we come before you, we come before your throne, uh, guarding our steps, uh, as the text here says, uh, knowing that you are sovereign, that you are God, that you are mighty, that you are our redeemer. And so help us, Lord, uh, live that way. Help us speak that way. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you'll use me despite me, my sin, my faults, uh, but Lord, I, I rest in your promises of forgiveness. And I, I pray that uh, we will all rest in the promises of your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy and, and that we will confess you to you uh, our devotion. And so I pray this, uh, Jesus, as we gather here as the church uh, to hear what you have to say, uh, open our ears um, to, to you. And I pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. Well, chapter five, uh, if you take a look at it in your, in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, take it out. Take, we're going to walk through this kind of verse by verse today. Uh, but chapter five is a little bit of a different one. Um, <clears throat> as we've been talking about, I've introduced this a couple times, but Solomon here, the, the one that's writing this, this book, is kind of our preacher and pre- kind of our king, our preacher king. I've mentioned that many times, our preacher king. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's koeleth, and it means the, the one who gathers his people together and then proclaim wisdom to them. And this is what, uh, this is what we're seeing. But this, this chapter 5 here is, is an abrupt change, and we need to notice it. It is very different from the first four chapters. It, it is one that is bringing, he's now bringing 12 imperatives to us to do. 
And they're significant. They're significant things that we're called to and we need to, we need to notice and take notice of them and recognize these things. And we, we need to do this because remember, Solomon is one that has been given supernatural wisdom to look at things in a speci- specific way under the sun and now he's given us 12 imperatives towards God. And the indicative is, remember, the indicative is the truth. It does not change and that's where the imperatives come out of, the things that we are called to do. And there's an assumed indicative here that God is the truth, that God is the truth. So last week in this week's text, our parallel text, given us six imperatives, verses one through three, we have six imperatives with a closing proverb, and then four through seven is another six imperatives with a closing proverb. And so let's, let's begin, and I'm going to walk through verses one through three really quickly because we heard it a little bit uh, last week, but he starts with, it, with in verse one. If you look at this, verse one, the first three words, guard your steps. Guard your steps. Like, like where your feet are going, where your feet are directed, that's where you're going to go, right? This is not rocket science. Unless you're pigeon-toed, then it's a little bit confusing. You, you actually don't know which way, direction you're going. Or if you walk with my buddy Dwayne backwards, Again, it's confusing. You don't, you're kind of going back. You don't know which direction you're going, uh, but that's not the norm, right? Where your feet are going is where you're kind of going to be headed, right? It's not rocket science here that I'm saying this thing, but if you are walking, think about this. If you're walking in the lust of your heart, that's where you will end up. If you're indulging in alcohol or looking to drugs to be your fulfillment, that's where you will end up. If you are married but are hooked towards sexual imagery, you will end up in adultery. Remember Jesus said back in Matthew 5, 28, if you look at someone with lust, you have committed adultery already in your heart. So don't we need the mercy of God, friends? Because our feet are constantly moving in a direction that is contrary to what Jesus called us. But also we need not only God's help to guard our steps, but we need community. We need this. We need the church, and God has orchestrated this. So just a simple application point on guarding your steps is be accountable. We need to be accountable to others and accountable to one another in these things. A community of believers making covenant together. This is membership of the church. This is being one with one another, that we might direct one another towards holiness, right? Jesus says this in, in, in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. It's on your screen. It says, if your brother sees against you or sins against you, we're supposed to go and tell him his fault. This is what it says in scripture between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's great. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then we tell it to the whole church. Why? For accountability's sake, for, for the love of that person for the care of that person as we come alongside them because their feet haven't been guarded and they're going in a direction far from the Lord. And if he refuses even to listen even to the church, then let him, to be, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Or look at 1 Peter 1, 3, 13 through 16. It says, therefore, and these are all action things, right? These are all action steps with an assumed indicative, assumed truth, preparing your minds for action, And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former 
Former ignorance. Remember where your feet were before. Don't, don't go back there. Don't walk back in that direction. You know where it leads. The former passions and the ignorance, but as you, he walked you, or but as he who called you is holy, again, an action step towards holiness, you also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. See, without others helping guide you, helping guard your steps, you will often end, or end oftentimes doing the very same thing another has done. You're, you're going to follow someone or follow your old passions as this scripture has called us or showed us. Falling away from Jesus rather than toward him. Falling towards him. And that's where we want to guard our steps. And, and we know this already because Ecclesiastes has been talking about this. That there's nothing new under the sun. History will repeat itself. It's, it's obvious. It's the things that we know even in our own hearts. We are drawn towards these things. So Solomon, our preacher king, the Coeleth, gathering his people, is being accountable to the things he has discovered and is now saying to his gathered people, guard your steps. Guard your steps. Be aware of what you're, where you're going. Be aware. Look down at your feet and see where they're directed. And this is just the first of six imperatives in the first three verses, and, and let's look at them together. You can take your Bibles again. Just look at verse one. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. <clears throat> Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. This is talking about prayer. This is moving towards the Lord. It's going to the house of God is an assumed action here. It's an assumed action that we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus Christ, that we will go to the house of God. That we will go to the one that does have the answers. That we will go to the one that has the future set out for us. Because he is our only hope. We've tried other directions, right? We've tried other ways and they lead us to toil and pain and suffering. So where else are we going to go? But to the Lord. It's an assumed action. Remember, Solomon is taking everything under the sun and now he goes, guard your steps when you go to, the, to God, when you go to the temple. And then the second one is listen to him. Listen to him. Verse one, hear him, quiet the voices and distractions around you and hear what the scripture says. He is speaking to us through his very words. So guard your steps, listen to him, hear what he has to say. And then third one is a fun one, don't be a fool. Remember a fool is one who believes that there is no God and looking at all the beauty and order of our world and you still believe there is no God? When we can look at a painting and just assume without the painter there, we assume that there's a painter. When we look at the painting, we've never seen them. It just is there, but already in our minds, we know that there's a painter because we know deep down in our heart that it doesn't just come to be. Not through an explosion or just not magically there. So when we look at creation, we gotta assume that there's a creator. So let's not be a fool when it comes to these matters. Fourth one, don't be rash with God. Rash is a hard translation here, but it means hurried. Don't be hurried with God. Take your time, slow down, be with him. Sit and listen. Set aside a time to listen to him. 
I've been listening to this book uh, by D.A. Carson, Praying with Paul. It's taken all Paul's prayers of scripture. There's many of them. And such a great book. And uh, the biggest takeaway for me was, and I've, I've done this uh, for years now, but just want to encourage you because a lot of times I double book the Lord. I'm not sure about you guys, but I double book him. I said in my calendar from, from 12 to 1 that I'm going to pray. And man, I double book him a lot. And if we don't pray, this book is encouraging us. If we don't sit and pray and just set aside a time to be with the Lord, you will never pray. And man, that was like a punch in the gut. And I'm not sure if it's punching you in the gut right now. This is not me. This is just something that I've experienced. And man, I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be devoted to him and set aside time for him and listen to him and revere him and guard my steps when I go into his presence and not be a fool anymore. The fifth is don't be hasty in your speech. Slow to, slow to speak to God. Be reverent, understanding your place because he is in heaven and you are here on earth. And lastly, number six is keep it short with God. It says in Matthew 6, 8 that your father knows what you need before you even ask. So we can keep it short, revering our King of kings and Lord of lords when we come to him in prayer. So this section, like I've said, is about prayer. Solomon just went off again on all the things under the sun, and then he comes with these six imperatives. This is how you now live. This is how in the midst of everything that is meaningless and just vanity, this is where you go. You pray. You enter into the temple of the Lord So let's pray now. I figured this is probably a good time. I want to pray Psalm 23. This is something I've read years ago too. It's another book by Donald Whitney of praying the Psalms. And so I'm just going to pray Psalm 23. If you if you want to scroll to it in your in your on your phone app or in your Bibles, you can turn to it. But Psalm 23, I'm just going to pray this as an example to model to you as my family. So let's bow our heads. Oh, Lord, you are our shepherd. And man, we want to we come to you. We want to point our feet in the direction of you because you give us all we need. We shall not want. And you, Lord, are the one that make us lie down and guide us to green pastures. You give us every provision that we ever needed in the, in the day. You give us food and drink and You give us life. You give us breath in our lungs. And you lead us beside still waters, protecting us, giving us nourishment. And you restore our soul. And you lead us in paths of righteousness. You you are the one that directs our path and make it straight and and lighten our path. And and so often, Lord, we, we turn aside from it. And you do it for your namesake because you deserve the glory, you deserve the worship, not us. Lord, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will no fear no evil anymore. For you are with us. Your rod and your staff, your discipline, they actually comfort us because it is good. We believe and trust that you are holy and right. And you prepare a table before us. You promise us eternal life in you. And in the presence of our enemies, you are going to anoint our heads with oil and proclaim us as sons and daughters of yours, as saints of you. 
and our cup overflows with, with gratitude, with mercy from you, with grace and with love. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life here as we set aside time for you. Lord, we shall not, we shall, we shall dwell in the house of the Lord. What a great promise. And we will do this forever. So we praise your name, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, what, a, what a powerful psalm, but what a way to guard our steps. What a way to enter into the throne room of God. And what's cool here, what I found out in the cross reference to this guard your steps is actually taking us back to the Exodus story where Moses entered into and saw the burning bush and he was standing there. Remember, God said to him, he said, take your sandals off for you are on holy ground. Guard your steps when you come into the temple of the Lord. You're on holy ground when you come into the king, the presence of the king of kings. What a great place to be in. So we have these six imperatives and it ends with this proverb in chapter or verse three. It says, for a dream, this is where it gets sometimes confusing with proverbs, but for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. Interesting, but I want you to hold on to that for a second. But I want you to hold on to the fact that dreams and words are connected. Dreams and words are connected here for some reason. So let's just put that in the, in the back of our mind for a second. We'll hit it when we get to verse seven. So let's take now a look at verse next, the next section, this next parallel uh, paragraph here in verse four through seven. It says this, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. Again, guarding our steps. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow that, than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So like I said, these two sections are parallel sections, both having six imperatives and then a proverb. So let's take a look at these next six Imperatives, it says, the first one there in verse four, it says, don't delay paying your vow to God. Don't delay paying your vow to God. See, it makes sense, right? Like God is God. And when we owe him something, it, it is right to pay him. Like if you owed the king and maybe you have a servant and you owed the king, most likely you're gonna pay the king, the debt to the king first, right? Or... In our context, if you have a boss and a little, a little brother or a little sister, most often you're going to pay the boss first, right? Because there's more and greater consequences knowing these things. And so likened to this, like we ought to pay the Lord because it is far more important to pay the debt to him. When we vow to him, we need to pay it. And the second imperative here is don't be a fool. Again, when you vow a vow, don't act as if God doesn't exist. When you make a vow, it is incredibly important to understand what you're saying. See, every one of us, whether you believe in God or not, will be held accountable to him. We see this in a few places in, in the scriptures. Romans 3.19 is one where it says the whole world may be held accountable to God. Another verse in Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. I don't know if that freaks you out or not, but 
little bit for me, but knowing the whole story uh, calms that because he is a forgiving, gracious God. But to be the fool is to be careless with the precious gift of life and the words we speak. So don't be a fool in this. Don't forget that God is always around. He is quorum Deo. He is with us. We live under the face of God. The third is pay what you vow. Verse four, pay what you vow. Isn't it the worst? <laughs> I don't know about you, but isn't it the worst when you make, when you, when you make a bet with a friend or whatever and, you, and, the, and the friend doesn't do it? And then you just go, it's like, hey, you owe me. We bet this. Like it was a dollar, but you didn't, you're not going to pay it? See, if you're going to vow something, we ought to pay it off. We ought to allow our, in other parts of scripture, we see Jesus saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is something that we are to do. Our, let our word be our bond. Let the things that we say, we ought to fulfill. So let the word of your mouth be trustworthy. The fourth here is don't let your mouth lead you into sin. In verse six, we can find that there. Do not pay what you said. Uh, to not pay what you said is sin. See, rather than uh, having a trustworthy word, people begin to question what you say or your commitment level behind it. Like James 4, 17 is a, is a powerful one. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So your mouth can lead you in all kinds of different directions. It can actually get you out of trouble, but it also can lead you to trouble as well. And we see this in another part of James, chapter three, verses five through six. It says, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. It's such an encouraging passage. You know, that little thing in your mouth is set on fire by hell. It's, it's one of those things that often our tongue can get us in confusion, but out of the mouth, the heart is speaking. So really, what is going on is something on our heart. So we are to guard your mouth by way of your heart and set your heart to devote it to God and your mouth will follow. So again, we have the fifth one. So right now we've got the don't delay paying your vow. Don't be a fool. Pay what you vow. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. And fifth, don't say your vow was a mistake. Let me use marriage as an example. Marriage, amongst many other things that God has ordained, is being attacked and has been for a very long time now. I'm not sure if you guys know this, but like I, this is going back years. But in Mexico, they've made a, a law that you can annul your marriage after two years. You can just literally just walk away. And Braley and I, my youngest daughter, we were driving in our, in our truck coming back from a basketball practice and, and we heard these DJs talking about marriage. And so I turned it up. I was interested what they were going to say. And they were talking about this, about the fact that what, what, wouldn't it be way easier if we could just walk away? Hey, it's not working, so let's just walk away. And they're making marriage so small, this covenant of marriage. And they made it just tiny, to the point where they could just walk away. And they were saying to, from a year, like a year on, they should, you should just be able to just depart. Well, you see, people are missing the point and we as the church cannot be so desensitized to this brutal way of thinking. You see, marriage is a covenant that you make before God and man. It isn't a deal and it isn't a promise. It is a covenant, a vow. 
meaning the words you say to one another are until you die. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 19, 6, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. See, whether suffering, confusion, pain, or trial, marriage is a vow that you have made and it is to be kept. And I understand that there are many horrible things people can do to one another. And God gives us wisdom and discernment to handle these situations. But to divorce because you are unhappy, not fulfilled, don't love each other anymore is not okay. It's not okay because marriage is a covenant between one man and one woman. And covenant, just to remind us what a covenant is, covenant is different from a commitment. A commitment, if I, me to you, if I commit to you, I'm going to do my best to co- live that commitment now. But if you break the things that I've, we've committed to do to one another, then I'm out. If you break it, I'm out. I, I don't have to fulfill my commitment because you've broken your side of the deal. A covenant is very different. And this is where marriage is to death, till death separates us. And it's also within the church, right? The church is that covenantal partnership of ones that we walk together in Christ-likeness. And so we covenant together with one another. And so if I'm the husband and you're the bride, we stand before God and we stand before men and we make vows. We make vows to one another and we covenant to one another and we say, I do. And a covenant is no matter what you do, I have made this covenant with you and I'm sticking to it. That's the difference between a commitment and a covenant I am going to fulfill my covenant no matter what. It's a big deal to covenant before the Lord, to vow before the Lord. And that's what a covenant is. It is holding up my side of the bargain no matter what. It's a big deal. God is a God of, that he keeps his covenants. He's a covenant keeper. We are covenant breakers. And so that's the difference between us and God. But that covenant is a very important language and that we need to recognize that we covenant with the Lord. And so when it comes to a vow, you have made it and are not to say it was a mistake. And the last one is to fear God. Number six, to fear God is to live your life to please him. Is not a shudder before him. It's not to shudder before him, but to desire to please him in all that you do. That's to fear the Lord is to desire, I want to just please my father. I want to please him with, with, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want to please him. So I want to please him in, in your marriage. I want to please him in your singleness. I want to please him in your work. I want to please him in, in our friendships. And I want to please him within his church. I want to please him with our finances. I want to please him with our life. No matter what situation I'm living in, I'm going to please the Lord. That's what I want to do. I want to live my life as if I'm pleasing the Lord at all costs. So whether I'm going for a walk or whether I'm going to work or if I'm at home, I want to please the Lord with everything I've got, with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is our purpose, to honor God above all else. This is what it means to fear God. And this is what Solomon closes this section with. Looking at everything under the sun and then changing abruptly and going, this is how you pray and this is how you vow. And then he shares this proverb again. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. Again, we see dreams and words are connected. So let's unpack this a little bit. So dreams are crazy, right? They're crazy. They're incredibly busy and often out of control. 
I'm not sure how many times you've heard or you've experienced in yourself, but I've heard many stories of people's dreams and, and oftentimes they're falling, right? Maybe you've experienced that. You're flying. You're doing things that you've not, you cannot do on this earth. You travel the world in a matter of 30 seconds. They're, they're a little bit crazy. They're out of control. Solomon is warning us that many words are the same. In our prayers, when we don't follow those six imperatives from verses one through three, and when making a vow, verses four through seven, not following those six imperatives, words are likened to a busy dream. Both the dream and the words are meaningless. So when your prayers control your tongue, we aren't ones that follow dreams because, like I said, they're crazy. We as Christians follow the truth that is laid out for us in the scripture. We don't follow many words, but the very words of God given to us. Matthew Henry, a theologian, said this. It's on the screen. It says, they are but like the idol. These are dreams, explaining, explaining dreams. They are but like the idle, impertinent chat of children and fools, and therefore never heed them, forget them. Instead of repeating them, lay no stress upon them. Draw no disquieting conclusions from them, but fear your God. Have an eye to his sovereign dominion. Set him before you. Keep yourself in his love, and be afraid of offending him. And then you will not disturb yourself with foolish dreams. So our preacher king is warning us about words to God, the Father, in prayer. And if we don't guard our steps, they will be like a dream or many foolish words. See, Solomon is also asking us to guard our steps when vowing to the Lord. Guard our steps when vowing to the Lord. And we all make vows all the time, right? Like we, we vow things constantly. Like I promise I'll pay you back. I promise on my mother's grave I will do this or that. I promise I'm telling the whole truth. I promise I will come to church on time. <laughs> just, just thought I'd throw that in there. I swear I, I, I swear I never did that, right? How many times do your kids do that? I swear I never did that. I promise to be faithful in marriage. I promise to f- follow and be a servant of Jesus. See, Solomon is warning us, when you vow a vow, God takes it incredibly seriously. You see, it's not a matter of if you make vows, but when. See, look at verse four again. The first word of verse four, when. When you vow a vow to God. Like when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools, but he does have pleasure in the wise. Because in the Proverbs, it talks about like like the wisdom is the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom. So he does have pleasure in, in the wise, not in the, in the fools. So we're to pay our vow to him. And this is how verse seven closes, right? Like fear God. So in other words, the opposite of the foolish man is the wise man, the one who fears God. And that is the direction we want to direct our steps in. We want to fear the Lord. We want to move in a direction of honoring Jesus Christ. And so we pay it by living as a Christ follower, and just trying to keep it that simple. Let's be Christians. Let's, Christ, let's follow Christ. That's all a Christian is. It's Christ follower. So devoting time to him, devoting service to him, devoting our lives to him, devoting our work to him, devoting our wealth to him. This is what a disciple of Christ does. And we're going, man, we're going to be talking a lot about discipleship come the fall. And I can't wait to talk about it. But it, because it's an action step. It's a movement towards Christ-likeness. See, we recognize all gifts are from God above, so we worship and serve him. Even our lives are his. 
It says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You're bought with the price of Jesus Christ, blood shed on the cross. Or Romans 6, 16 to 19, and these are all action steps. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, to anyone, meaning something under the sun here, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. This is again talking about those guarding your steps, directing your feet towards something other than Christ. And this is what this passage is saying. It's like you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads you to death, or of, dis- or, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's all action steps. It's a movement. Right, friends, let's get excited about paying our vow back to Jesus because we all have vowed to him. Let me be clear. You are saved by grace alone. Grace alone you're saved. But to remain in your sin and to not seek to honor your Lord and King is not an option in Scripture. So you are saved by grace and faith through your confession, through your confession, through your vow. Now out of that vow, you work to honor him. The works don't save you, right? They don't save you, but are a sign of your heart's devotion to Jesus. So like our imperative says, pay your vow in verse five, it says, it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. It's an interesting statement. This is Hebrews 6. It says this in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. That is a tough verse. Tough But what this is saying is that, and you can read, continue to read verses seven on. But what this is saying is that you are enjoying all the things of the church, the community of Jesus and his family, and yet you still choose to live separate from him. See, it is worse for you to know the truth of Jesus and to deny it than to have never known it in the first place. See, Solomon is saying the same thing when it comes to vows before God. If you have made a vow to God to be his son or daughter, then you must act accordingly. Just pay it out. Look at verse six. It says, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. This is vowing with your mouth and then saying, I didn't really mean it. I didn't really mean to follow you, Jesus. See, friends, as I've said, we have all vowed to God in one way or another. I would argue that there are probably three people in this text that I want to unpack. Because if you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you have vowed to the Lord. 
And these three people, I would say, the first person, their feet are taking advantage of God's creation and using it for their gain, not acknowledging him, but abusing the mercy of God, the common grace God shows him every day. They've put themselves on their throne. This person will one day stand before God and be held to account for his actions, not recognizing, playing the fool, not recognizing that God is the sovereign king. The second person vows to God, but like the first person never really abides in him. We see this in Hebrews 6, where they are like a field that accepts the rain but only produces thorns and thistles. There's no fruit in their action steps. And the third person vows to God and seeks to honor him with his life. Not perfectly, but with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. They strive to honor their God. See, this person lived to please their heavenly father. The question then is, who are we? And man, this one I've been carrying all week. Who am I? Which one am I? Have I been abusing the grace that God has given me? Like, look back at our weeks. Have I guarded my steps? Have I watched where I was walking? Or am I going back to my foolish ways? Which way am I going? Which way are we going? Are we devoting, because God left us with two commands. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Are we? living out that command of God. Are we loving our neighbor the way he's called us to? These are big questions that we all, all, and I want to encourage us all, this is part of the discipleship. This is part of being a family, of keeping one another accountable in this. And I've challenged some of us, and I want to challenge all of us. I've done this back in September, as I've said again, but get to know one another. Love your neighbor. Get to know one another's stories so that you can come alongside and help guard each other's steps for the sake of God's kingdom so that we can come alongside one another in the, in the, in the kingdom that has promised us and we can sit and rejoice that, yeah, we gave it our all in the different stages of our lives to honor Jesus. May we guard our steps. May we keep our word. May we stay away from foolish behavior. And may we fear God. Let me pray. Lord, you are the God of hope. You are the God of hope. Fill us now with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in all hope in you, living our lives to the full, fully loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving those around us the way you love us. All for your glory, Jesus, not for us. In you will we pray, amen.
Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from The Shore Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not charge for it. Learn more about The Shore at www.theshorechurch.ca.